If you fish long enough, sooner or later, some crazy bad things are going to happen to you. Well, we're going to talk about all the times the wheels came off on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey, thinkers, Chad Lachance here. Appreciate very much you guys tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, brought to you, as always, by Sportsman's Warehouse. And uh, we encourage you to visit your local Sportsman's Warehouse or sportsmans.com early and often when you're looking for anything for the outdoors, cooking, hunting, fishing, shooting, all of the above. You know, I've been a fisherman for a long time, uh, been a professional, so to speak, or been doing it for a living uh, since 2006, uh, started doing it for a partial living in 2004, so I've been at it for a while. We've been filming for almost 15 years and uh, 350 episodes of Fishful Thinker, not to mention a bunch of tournament fishing I've done here, there, and everywhere, and, uh, you know, prior to that. So, I kind of wanted to start off with a little bit of a lighthearted podcast and hopefully something that I can give you guys some bad juju that's happened to us and what we learned from it along the way and how we've learned to deal with it uh, ever since then. Basically, uh, maybe you can find some humor in our uh, mistakes or um, let's just say rougher days we've had on the water. And there's been a whole slew of them. And I don't look back at them, back at them as a negative. I look back at them always as a possibility to learn something. What went wrong? Was it my fault or was it not my fault? Uh, almost invariably, it is my fault. Uh, it comes down to judgment issues almost always. And I thought, well, we'll pass this little intel on to you guys. If nothing else, maybe you'll find some humor in our uh, train wrecks that we've had over the years. And I suppose that uh, if I didn't start off with weather-related ones, it wouldn't make any sense because that's the obvious one that gets you more often than not. And almost always, it's because our arrogance gets in the way. And Mother Nature's no joke. And Mother Nature around water is especially no joke. And so we've had our share of those. One of them that jumps out at me where the fishing really fell apart on us and we took the weather for granted and it just didn't work for us. We were filming, we're filming with a good friend of ours, Dan Swanson, and we were gonna go up to a place in central Wyoming and uh, and film up there at a place called Boysen uh, Reservoir. And it's supposed to be a good lake. Everything I was told is it was a good lake. Well, the weather reports were pretty rough and you know, when you're talking about north central Wyoming, you really shouldn't take weather reports to be, you know, or, or lightly, so to speak. You're in the Mountain West, that's wide open country, and it's it's just not a good place if there's any sort of extreme weather. And we drove up there anyway. It's like a six hour drive from home. I was pulling Dan's big Ranger walleye boat uh, with my Tundra, and the trip just started off as a wreck from the get-go. For whatever reason, I commented to Dan that, first of all, his boat was a lot heavier to tow than my boat. And we were talking about it, and we determined it must be because of the wind or maybe the higher gunnels. Both of us fish out of 21-foot Ranger boats. Mine's a bass boat, though, and his is a walleye boat. Well, we drove to Boysen. We got most of the way home from Boysen on that trip and found out that, oh, geez, lo and behold, the brakes had been seized most of the way, and I was towing that thing against its own brakes. <laughs> uh, ate the brakes, ate the spindles, uh, basically destroyed the axles in the trailer, not to mention burned a whole bunch of gas in the truck. But that's not even the funny part of the story of where the wheels came off. 
We get to Boisin, just about the time we get there, it starts pouring down rain, and the lake level was literally visibly rising. So we get up early the next morning to fish, it's still raining, only now the lakes come up like 18 inches overnight and is the color of chocolate milk, and it's pouring down rain. Well, we launched the boat anyway, figured, well, we'll you know, we're here, we've already destroyed the brakes, we might as well see what, what will happen. Fished for like eight hours in the rain, never got the cameras out, never caught a single fish, and put the boat in the trailer and limped home. And note to self, I didn't feel good about going on that trip based on the weather forecast in the first place. Uh, we didn't pull my boat because of the weather forecast because we determined that we might end up needing the windshields on the boat. And long story short, I was right across the board. I should have followed my own instincts and stayed home and saved a whole bunch of money and headache and brain damage and trailer damage and everything else. Because had been had Dan been towing his own boat, he would have noticed the, the extra resistance from the brakes. And instead of destroying the axles, we would have probably fixed the brakes and gone about our business. So that's how it goes. Another one in Wyoming that got us where, again, I, I took weather for granted, only this time a little bit different. We were out in Glendo Reservoir. This was season one of Fishful Thinker, and meaning it was filmed in 2008. <clears throat> and we we're out on Glendo Reservoir. And Glendo's, I think it's 12,000 acres, give or take. It's a good-sized pond. Again, can be wide open. Uh, it's Wyoming, so it's known for its wind. And it was just kind of one of those deals where you could see this big, giant weather front coming from the west. I mean, just big, like huge, tall thunderstorms coming. And camera guy Tim and is like, man, I don't know. Maybe we should get off this lake before that gets here. And Dan's going, yeah, we probably ought to. And me being the hard-headed and maybe a little bit arrogant camera or uh, TV show host guy, he's like, ah, I know better than a camera guy. And the guy who's fished here for, I don't know, 15 years longer than I have. Should have been my first clue. I'm like, well, no, guys, the weather's blowing, the wind's blowing towards that storm. It's blowing away from us. We're fine. Well, anyone that knows anything about weather knows that you get an upwelling like that. And that's that storm vacuuming up everything around it. And sure enough, I'm like three miles from the boat ramp, and uh, and it opens up. Well, not a big deal. We've got Gore-Tex and all that on, but we're in a bass boat, which means there's nowhere to hide. And it started hailing uh, like, I don't know, maybe maybe a little bit smaller than golf balls down to maybe the size of dimes. Uh, we took a beating. The boat took a beating. The people took a beating. Everything took a beating because there's nowhere to hide in the bass boat. There's nowhere to get out of it in Glendo Reservoir. And with the visibility the way it was, we couldn't even move around because of this raging late afternoon thunderstorm that caught us completely off guard and I just wanted to catch one more fish. That's all I wanted to do was catch one more fish. But no, didn't do it. And uh, and the weather got us. So the, the hail came down. We were battered. Camera guy had welts all over his legs because he didn't have clothes on underneath his bibs. So he was dry, but he was battered. Uh, it was not the most fun day we ever had. So note to self, once again, do not disrespect Wyoming weather, whether you're already at the lake or otherwise. We had another one that, along those lines that that uh, the wheels really came off, and it's because, uh, again, of the arrogance of the weather. And again, it was pointed out to me that, oh no, hey, it's fixing to get ugly. We got to get out of here. We were in a place called John Martin Reservoir in, in extreme southeast Colorado. It's, the, I believe, the second largest lake in Colorado, and it is wide open. It's an impoundment of the Arkansas River 
There's almost no uh, shelter anywhere around that lake other than a couple of little small high banks here and there. And the dam's at the east end of it, and the prevailing winds are from the west, the northwest. And so we're fishing the dam, everything's going fine, weather forecast didn't call for anything crazy, and we're maybe two hours into our day, and it starts getting going and blowing and blowing harder and harder. It's blowing right into the dam where we're fishing, which means we're catching the crap out of them because the wind's blowing right in on the dam where we want to be on this approaching storm. Well, it starts getting bad enough that it's that it's they're starting to break over the side of the boat, and the waves are getting uglier and uglier, and... Camera guy's like, man, we ought to probably get off this lake once again. Camera guy's trying to be the voice of reason. Good job, Tim Farnsworth, camera guy. Been the camera guy forever. Always the voice of reason. Sometimes I listen. Sometimes I'm too hard-headed. Again, I didn't listen to him. No, nope, no, nope. we got a 21-foot ranger boat. We're going to run up this lake. No problem. So we go running up the lake. Not really any problem. Well, you could literally hear the wind starting to come over the howl of the motor. You could see the dust from the western horizon as the wind that had just been going was just getting going good. It was blowing maybe sustained 15 to 20. So not ridiculous, but for sure rolling some big old waves down the lake. You could literally hear it over the motor as the wind came picking up, like the wall of the actual storm hit. We were just a a victim up until that point of the initial gusts and things of wind. Now the wall hit and I'm continuing up lake because the up lake is the more sheltered version. Well, or more more sheltered location. And long story short, in a span of time of about 30 or 40 seconds, the wind doubled or more in speed and the gusting turned into a continuous sustained howl at like 40 plus miles an hour, like ridiculous off the charts wind battered with dust and debris out in the middle of the lake. So I determined quickly that based on also the look on the camera guy's face, who is basically terrified at this point because the waves went from being like three footers to six footers in no time and we're in a bass boat in freezing cold spring water, uh, I decide that we better go ahead and try to get back to the ramp as soon as possible, which means we got to go with the wind, meaning that those waves are going to be pushing the boat for one, and for two, we've got to make a turn, a 180-degree turn, to head back the other direction. So I prepare for the turn, uh, get the boat set up, uh, trim-wise and and everything else-wise, and we're going just fast enough to stay on pad because of the waves. And basically, I make the turn safely. We don't take on too much water making the turn. I make the turn safely in the boat, get pointed downwind. And again, I'm going just fast enough to keep us going and trying to keep the bow from spearing these gigantic waves that we're now going with. And I was doing a pretty good job of it. The problem was I wasn't looking far enough ahead of the boat and I wasn't paying close enough attention to the map, which I had right in front of me in big giant screen Lawrence unit. I had a perfect contour map right in front of my face but I wasn't looking at it. I glanced over at the shore and I'm far enough off the bank that I'm not worrying about shallow water. Well, there's basically a hard turn in the main river channel underneath that lake that I wasn't thinking about because I was in survival mode of just getting the boat back to the ramp in one piece and without getting full of water. And camera guy yells all of a sudden out of the blue, oh, look out. And I realized that there are now blades of or sticks and, and small bushes sticking out of the water directly in front of the boat in the trough of the wave. So as long as I'm up on the wave, 
the water's plenty deep, like five feet deep. Uh, when the wave goes over the shallow water, it, it was exposing this little narrow 50-foot wide stretch of ridge that was underneath the lake. I saw it last minute, no chance at making a turn. Camera guy yells. Uh, I realized the only thing to do is try to time the wave and bury the throttle on the boat and uh, and try to, to literally time the wave over the top of the shallow water. And I did a pretty good job of it, but not quite good enough. And at the time I had the, the big two-stroke Evinrude on the back, the G2 made tons and tons of torque, 600 pound-feet of torque, big steel prop on it. Uh, they clipped the top of that, that embankment as we went over it of that ridge that's underwater there. And as we did, it did so with enough force to literally pull the motor down and almost stall it, but not quite stall the motor before we popped back out the other side and back into deeper water. And I could immediately feel the vibration out of the rear end and knew that we had torn up the prop and was just more hoping that we could get back to the boat ramp before the motor came off the boat or did anything evil uh, at all. And long story short, I made it back to the ramp, um, ran the boat up on the bank, uh, which the ramp fortunately was in a little bit of a sheltered spot, although there is no real shelter around there. Uh, Tim got the trailer. Uh, we got the boat on the trailer. I was afraid to even go back there and look. I had to surf the boat onto the trailer. We go back there. Sure enough, that prop is completely destroyed. The keg's completely destroyed. Uh, but the bright spot, and it is a large bright spot, uh, is that the motor did not die, did not stall. And the prop had enough blade left on it to get us back to the boat ramp because if any of those things had happened, had the prop broke to where we couldn't run the boat or broke the motor or even got the motor stalled, I'm quite certain that we would have been evacuating ourselves from the boat uh, with safety gear on just about the time it washed up on the dam because there's nothing between us and the dam and you was, there's no way in that wind you would have been able to control the boat with the trolling motor, it would have blown us straight to the dam. So I got lucky there, made a good decision, but once again, made a good decision how to handle the approaching shallow water, made a horrible decision and how to deal with the approaching wind that caused the problem in the first place. Once again, do not argue with Mother Nature because <laughs> it doesn't work out very often. We've had some others that are a little more lighthearted than that, didn't tear the boat up, um, that I feel like are, are still lessons nonetheless. And one of those involves not understanding the immediacy of the conditions. And... We were gonna to go to a place called North Sterling Reservoir, Northeast Colorado and film. And I had heard all these reports about how fanatical the fishing, fantastic the fishing had been. Water had been high and stable all summer, which is super rare for that lake. It's an irrigation lake. Typically, the water will start dropping by about the end of May or early June, and it will drop hard all summer long because they're pumping water out on corn. And, um, we get there, I can't even remember exactly what month it was, but the lake had been really high. I want to say it was the end of July. The lake had been really high and not coming down at all. We get up, drive out there. It's like a four-hour drive, three-and-a-half-hour drive from my house. We get there, first light. As we drive across the dam to pull up on the, at the rope ramp, I realize that, wait a minute, there's a big green ring all the way around the lake, about eight inches above the water. Just about that time, we go over the spillway, and it is raging I mean, like full ditch raging out of there. We get to the boat ramp. 
the ditch riders there, the guy, the ditch rider, if you're not from the West, the ditch rider is the guy that controls the dam typically or runs the ditches. Uh, he is sitting there watching at the boat ramp. I asked him, I said, well, when did you open that outlet? He said, well, last night, I just came by this morning to check everything. The lake had been high and stable all summer long. The night before we get there, they open the valve and let the water start dropping, and that puts everything in the reservoir in shock mode for about a 12 to 24-hour period because, again, with the water being high and stable, everything's in its normal feeding patterns. They're up on the banks. They're doing what they do. The shad are doing their things. The shad-based fishery. Everybody's happy. As soon as that starts that huge vacuum of water out the floor of the lake at the deep end uh, of a lake no bigger than that is, and especially no deeper than that is, it starts right away losing water line and immediately puts the fish in a funk. Long story short here, we fished, I think, eight hours that day, did not catch a single fish. I want to point out that's one of the most productive fisheries in Colorado. And yet, with that immediacy of that falling water, um, no deal. Did not catch a single fish. The wheels completely came off. No fish were caught. And that was the end of that, uh, that whole situation. And it was one of those deals where we have learned if the immediate turn, if there's a huge lesson in this one, the immediate change in water movement in a reservoir is a major uh, either a bonus for fish or off-putting situation for fish. It will either wake them up or shut them down completely. The difference being when they turn water on or shut water off. As soon as they start turning water on and a lake starts to flood, fish will get giddy almost immediately. Conversely, as soon as they start pulling water when it's been very stable, the fish will shut down almost immediately for a very short period of time, like I said, 12 to 24 hours, and then they're fine again. But that little short period of time when they're first adjusting to that water starting to drop is a nightmare to fish. And it's not something you want to deal with, um, but it's one of those deals where you, you, it's, Unfortunately, most of the time, you can't look up a conditions report for it or anything like that because by the time someone puts it up on a fishing website somewhere that the water's dropping, it's too late. And so the lesson we learned there is, if at all possible, whenever we're going to travel to any of the reservoirs, I will find out who the managing agency is of the reservoir and find out if there's an official website for water levels. And it's one of the only things I really consider when we're going to a lake is what is the water doing immediately around our visit to the lake? Is it rising? Is it falling? How long has it been rising or falling? Is it stable? Uh, those are the things I want to know. And so uh, in this particular case, I'm not sure that we could have gotten that information, but it has saved our tail several times, <clears throat> excuse me, particularly on drove reclamation owned lakes where they have a good uh, real-time data available to you on the online that will show you what the water level is doing in relation to the calendar and everything else. Uh, and that's been invaluable information. That's a, a big-time uh, piece of information. In fact, uh, as a broader lesson, the only two things we look at when we're going to a new reservoir, I don't read fishing reports. We've done whole podcasts about why I don't read fishing reports. Um, but I do look at water levels, as I just mentioned, and also the weather in for the, say, three-day period leading up to when we're going there. 
uh, and I don't mean the weather prediction, I mean like immediately when we're headed there. And that's going to make a decision for to me of how I'm going to go about my fishing. And so those are the only two things I really look for when I'm traveling somewhere uh, to, go, to go to one of the reservoirs in the West. And that'll make a... a Simplify, I should say, your your research, and uh, and like I said, you can look up other podcasts and why I don't read fishing reports because, long story short, uh, there's no more um, inaccurate thing in the world, in my experience, than a fishing report. So that's why I don't read them. Another time that we had a complete and total failure <coughs> of a fishing trip uh, that we were trying to film <coughs> had two of them actually in Florida. One of them, I was given a pre-production rod from a rod company I used to work with, and this rod was literally not available. It's a $500 fishing rod. It's a three-piece travel rod. It's $550, and there's literally like four of these in existence, and I want to film with it so that I have uh, video in the can so when this rod actually launches, makes its debut to the market, we've already got video uh, of us working with this rod. So the guy that owns the rod company, or was one of the owners, gives me the rod, says, okay, go film with it for two days, uh, put it back in the tube and ship it back to us here at the factory when you're done. Okay, that's what I'm gonna do, no problem. Do not break this rod. There are no more of these, do not break this fishing rod. Be careful, <clears throat> no problem, I'll be careful. I go to a pier on Anna Maria Island, and if anyone's familiar with Florida, Anna Maria is one of my favorite places to fish. Uh, it used to be far less busy than it is these days, but it's still a good place to fish. I'm at the pier at the north end of the island, and ever since I was in college, I've been fishing that pier on and off, and I knew there would be some snook underneath that pier in July. And there was, and I figured there would be. We get there, and I got this fancy rod. We put the camera guy up on the, up on the pier itself, I'm gonna go stand below it and uh, off to one side, and then I'm gonna cast underneath it so we've got this cool aerial angle of snook, okay? I can see the snook underneath the dock. Camera guy gets ready. There's a whole slew of onlookers at this point watching the whole thing. Without thinking anything about it, I take a, a gulp jerk shad, a five inch gulp jerk shad, unweighted, skip it underneath the, the pier, uh, get about four twitches on. It is literally the first cast with the rod. I took it out of the case, rigged it all up, set the camera guy up, uh, and literally the first cast. And I'm a big believer that one good cast beats a bunch of errant casts, so I went right for the juice. Skipped the bait underneath there, doop, doop, twitch it a couple times, boom, big old snook rolls up and eats it, perfect. And I rear down, set the hook, and the rod exploded immediately. And... I was basically in shock. I had literally been drilled the day before on do not break this rod no matter what happens. It literally exploded. Camera guy looks down. He cuts immediately because he knows a meltdown is fixing to ensue. He looks down at me. He says, you're in big trouble. Well, after I got done whimpering under my breath because I didn't want to make a scene in front of all these people, I tucked my tail, went back, um, Basically called the manufacturer, put the rod in tube, shipped it back, and we went fishing with some other stuff. Did not get any footage at all with that rod because I blew it up immediately. 
what happened was not my fault. It ended up being a giant blessing because there was a flaw in the scrim coating or the scrim on the rod itself. And I'm not going to go into rod making details, but basically the way the, the carbon is wrapped around the mandrel, uh, there was a flaw in their pattern for that. And the rod broke through no, uh, through no you know, result of myself. It wasn't up to me. It would have broken the first time anybody jerked on it. So I saved the manufacturer a bunch of problems by, and that's why pre-production testing is so important. But uh, but at any rate, it was not my fault. But still, it was one of those where you just tuck tail, get back in the car, put the camera gear away, and leave <laughs> with no uh, valuable footage at all. Another time, a very similar time actually. Um, this goes to not really paying attention to conditions overall or thinking it through all the way. We were at ICAST, uh, the International Conference of Allied Sport Fishing Trades in Orlando, Florida. It's the biggest event in fishing. Uh, we were at ICAST and we're going to go film for a day and a half uh, on some areas that I used to fish all the time in, in southwest Florida. We're going to drive over to Tampa area and then go fish a bunch of areas that I know because I used to live down there. Well, we fished, we get there, and all these areas that I was expecting there to be fish at, no problem, I were, were all areas that I had traditionally fished in springtime, and I really wasn't thinking straight. Well, we got there in July, and a weekend no less, which was a major mistake, but ICAST ends on a Friday, and we went and filmed the next day. Long story short, I couldn't even get to most of the areas. There were so many boats and so many tourists and so many people there that there was no chance we were going to fish for one, uh, at least not with a camera. When you break cameras out and start trying to fish, people give you all kinds of everything from heckling to crowding to everything in between. You don't get any free space. And I was... We couldn't even, like the first four or five spots we get to, we can't even get out of the car to fish. And then we finally get to a sandbar. I'm like, okay, sandbar, I love the sandbar. For sure, we'll be able to wade out to this thing. We come over the bridge. I look out there, there's like 200 party boats parked on the sandbar. Uh, everybody's out wading around in the shallow water, sitting up on the sand, having a big old giant party. So before it was all over with, we traveled around for a day and a half, caught one fish in places that I would have expected to catch about 15 fish an hour. And we just didn't think it through. We didn't think through the fact that the weekend was going to be fundamentally different in July than, say, a weekday in May when I was used to fishing these areas. And it was just me being overconfident. Well, even if it's a little busier because it's a weekend, we'll still catch fish. Well, not necessarily. When you put that much traffic uh, on top of shallow water fish, and that's the key here, if it had been the ocean we're talking about, it's one thing, and it kind of technically is, but we're talking about flats fishing and shallow water inshore fishing, and that level of disruption in that shallow water makes it impossible. And whether those guys are fishing or just wading around drinking margaritas is not relevant. What is relevant is there's not going to be a bunch of fish in shallow water at that point uh, in the areas we wanted to fish. And again, it was a complete and total waste of time. And so uh, it was, again, one of the maybe 10 days where the wheels have completely come off uh, in 350 episodes of Fishful Thinker. The only other one that really even comes to mind for me, uh, we went to a Colorado fishery that I know fairly well. Um, for whatever reason, I dodged and weaved all day. No fish stayed pinned. It was a place called Williams Fork Reservoir. We were fishing for big pike. 
we got bites. We didn't get a lot of bites, but we only need a half dozen or so to, to typically get a reasonable show. The show's only 22 minutes long. If I catch a half dozen pike and two or three of them are good size, well, we're doing okay. Well, I only got like a half dozen bites for the day, which I knew was a possibility, but not one of them stayed pinned. They'd jump and come off. They'd come off at the net. They, For whatever reason, I could not keep a fish stuck to the lure. And... And it went on for the whole day and to the point where every time I hooked one, you're just praying to the fish gods that the thing will stay on there, and then they don't. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're so worried about them staying on that they don't stay on. And it's it's a fundamental you know, deal where it kind of spirals out of control. You start doing different things. You start timing your hook sets different or you know, changing your baits, thinking maybe they'll bite this one a little bit better. And at the end of the day, it, you really, sometimes the, the fish just don't want to play and they were just nipping baits and, and I fought the issue. The right answer would have been to put the boat on the trailer, go down to the river and catch some other fish to preserve our day uh, and get some fishing content. But we didn't because, no, no, eventually two or three of these pike will stay pinned, and they did not, and that hard-headedness cost me uh, a day. And the reason I say cost me in all these instances is because the one difference between fishing for a living and fishing for fun is it's, I spend money every time we go to the lake. I've got a guy that's paid that's stand there and film, right? I got pay for the travel and the hotel rooms and all that stuff. I get to pay for whether we get any content or not. And nobody wants to hear that you didn't get any content. And so that's why I say those are the ones where the wheels came off. So I also will say this, I learned from every one of those. And I think that as I sit here and talk these through, almost all of these occurred in the early years of Fishful Thinker, and in fact, all of them did. And so I feel like that I've matured as an angler because of it, and I think therein lies the reason that I want to post it to you guys or, or mention it to you guys, because if you learn from any of these things that, that has gone wrong with us, maybe then I will have helped you be a better angler. So I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to hope to not have the wheels come off anymore <laughs> while well, we film Fishful Thinker Television. Uh, just so you're aware, season 27 uh, launched this week on uh, Altitude Sports. It also launched uh, last week on World Fishing Network. Uh, never would have thought we'd make 27 seasons on television, but we have at this point uh, over the last 14 years, and I'm, and I'm pretty, uh, pretty proud of that little detail. So We'd love it if you guys would join the conversation at Fishful Thinker on Facebook or Instagram. Also, for sure, on our YouTube channel, there's a lot of content there. We'd love for you to listen to more of that. So we appreciate you tuning in, and this has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.